Well, hello and God bless you. Welcome again to another Bible study live. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you and we thank you. We're going to take a moment to go before the Lord in prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. Appreciate you. Love you, God. Uh, thank you for all that you are and all that you mean in our lives, God. Thank you for being the great Jehovah in our lives. Thank you for being the difference maker in our hearts. And we appreciate you, God. Give us strength as we go through the study today. Illuminate our minds. Illuminate our ears. Bless me as a speaker, as I teach. Bless my vocal cords. Touch my thought process. God, allow revelation knowledge to flow freely, unhindered, and uninterrupted by anything. And God, we thank you for it and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so on Sunday, we had a guest speaker. It was Pastor Neil Kring, and he uh, spoke to us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go over those scriptures that he shared with us. He, uh, he said it was going to be a little bit different, and so he uh, read through the whole chapter, and then he gave a lot of stories that would connect um, to his ministry and as well as what God was saying to us at Deliverance Temple. And uh, it was it was beautiful. It reminded me a lot of my father and his ministry. And so that really touched my heart. So we're going to kind of go back through that. And we're grateful for him uh, sharing with us. So he started in Luke chapter 19. And so that's where we're going to go go from. We're going to look at verses one through 10. So the scripture says Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And then it says, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. All right, so we have to pause and give just some context to exactly what that means. And I'll bring it up side by side. I'll read it again, and then I'll, I'll go ahead and dig into it a little. So a man was uh, there by the name of Zacchaeus. That's, that's his name. So it's a familiar name for those of you who've been around Scripture he was a chief tax collector. So that's the thing we want to kind of dig into. What does that mean? And was wealthy. So do, they, do the two coincide? And so, yes, they do. So by the time we see Jesus in the New Testament, we have to understand that Israel is under Roman rule. And what they would do, well, the Roman Empire had really uh, taken over the world, so to speak. And so they had controlled a lot, but specifically they controlled Israel. And so what they would do is they would have governors that were from Rome that they would send to control Israel, but the taxes, the tribute money would go back to Rome, to Caesar, to the leadership. So they were under the governorship of Rome, but there were many Jews yet living in Israel. And so when it came to the governors as well as the kings of Israel, many of them were partnered with Rome. And most of the uh, people who lived there would feel like uh, sellouts. So in other words, the, the king, if he was partnered with Rome, they felt like he was a sellout, that he was selling them out for power with Rome. And mo most of that was true. The governors that were there, they were linked back to Rome. So 
it was an oppressive regime and these people were living under it. And some of the people living under it remember the time before, before they were under the Roman rule and Roman oppression and everything had changed and adjusted to now this, these new rules, these new laws, Roman soldiers were there. And so it was a much different time than many of them had grew up under. And it, it would be like um, us in America and somehow Russia takes over America. And now what we do, our dollar is no, no longer the dollar, it's the Russian dollar. Our rules, our Russian rules, and all the history we've had with, with Russia. So many of us who've grown up and known the history with that, for us to be now dominated and controlled by Russia and living under that would be totally different and it would be kind of hard to deal with. But it, it was life for them. The problem, though, was the tax collectors is that they were collecting money from the people on behalf of the Roman Empire. So they were, say, Ella owes X amount of dollars to Rome for taxes. But there was no real ledger, no real um, accounting. And so what the tax collector would do, they would have a number that they were supposed to hit by their Roman bosses, so to speak, and then they would add whatever they wanted so that they could make money off of it. So they would come and say, Ella owes $700 for taxes. And I was like, how, 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 how? Well, that's what it is, and if you don't do it, Rome is going to come get you. I'm going to tell the soldiers. And so it was either pay up or get in trouble. But there was no real proof. And so what the tax collector would do was they would give 500 to Rome to satisfy the tax, they take 200 for themselves. So the people knew that the tax collectors, they were like the big sellouts. They were Uncle Tom's. They were the worst of the worst because they were getting wealthy on the backs of the people as well as making the oppressor rich. And so it was, it was not something that was looked upon as an honorable profession. It was looked on as them being scoundrels but taking advantage of people. Or, or it would be looked like uh, corporate greed. It would be, look like, uh, like right now my uh, company's on strike and uh, our CEO makes $29 million a year. And then they're saying that the regular worker works makes too much. And so there's a fight about that. It's a fight about what the CEOs make versus what we make. And uh, it's, it's, they're worlds apart, and there's, there's a lot about it. So one side is saying one thing, another side is saying another thing. But when you come at it from the aspect of the Jewish person, the person living in Israel, they were feeling the effects of the greed, feeling the effects of the pressure, feeling the effects of the oppression, the uh, domination. And now you have people who, are, who look like you who are now in bed with the enemy, and now you're paying the price. So with that context, we'll say that again. So Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy, but his wealth came on the backs of those people. Now, this is a little bit different, but I always think about it this way. Um, in the day and age of the drug dealer who has made a lot of money, but he's killing his community, and so now we have uh, the fentanyl that's out there that is so deadly to people, and people are still shipping it in, selling it, and they're making money. 
and then not just even the low-level drug dealers, the people who are shipping it in, the people who are sitting in Miami with these beach houses, these great yachts, but they're doing something that is actually killing people. So it is that level of you're wealthy, but you're do- your, your wealth is on the backs of people in a horrible way. So when you think of a tax collector, that's what you have to remember when you're reading the scripture. All right, let's go further. Hope I gave enough uh, information for you on that. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us much about this, and so this is speculation on my part, but I wonder, did his stature, his human stature, have anything to do with the choices that he made later on in life? So he was a short man. Possible he had short man syndrome. Now, in, uh, in those days, uh, Israel, um, people were not that great in size. So Saul, back way back in the day of Saul and David, they thought he was about six foot, and they said he was head and shoulders above people at that time. So these were not very tall people. They were average size. And so for Zacchaeus to be short, he had to be quite short, very short in comparison to what the average Israelite person would have been. So I wonder, did he get teased because he was short? I wonder what his life was like. And then when he became an adult, he has this attitude of getting over on people. And I'll say this, um, when we look at some professions, like even sometimes cops who are rogue, who are bad cops, we're not talking about good cops, there's a lot of good cops. But I've known people who, when we grew up, they were the nerd, they were kind of weak, then all of a sudden they become a cop and now they have a gun and a badge and now they're this big tough guy and you're looking at them, you're like, you was like you were nobody when we were growing up, but now you have this power, now you are all puffed up and it bothers people. And then sometimes those type of cops, they arrest people, they're real rude to people because they have this authority that backs them up. And then the regular person really despises this cop because it's like, if it wasn't for the Muncie Police Department backing you up or the Indianapolis uh, backing you up or the state backing you up, you wouldn't be doing this. You wouldn't be throwing your weight around. In other words, so you're phony, you're fake, and now this power makes you this, that, and the other. Well, put it in the mind of this short guy who now all of a sudden is wealthy, but he's wealthy because of who he's hooked up with. So people did not like tax collectors, and they probably didn't like Zacchaeus at all. And then him being a short man, we don't know. I'm just speculating on how he ended up in the profession he was in and how he was okay with it. I don't know, but I'm just, you know, just thinking. And and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because when you read the Bible, especially when you're in study mode, not just reading, but when you're actually studying, you you need to use your imagination. You need to pause. You you need background. So you, you try to pick up and learn background, which is what I'm trying to give you. But once you have the background, then you try to think it through. And one of the things I always do, I always try to put it in our day, in our vernacular, in something that we can understand. So that's why I'm bringing up drug dealers or a cop or a person who was weak when you were growing up with them. And now they're this. And so I'm trying to make you think. But when you study the Bible, you should do the same thing because it helps you understand the ultimate goal or the ultimate story or lesson that you're learning. It gives you a lot of meat to kind of think through things. And then another thing you should always do is put yourself 
in the shoes of somewhere in the story. So right now we're putting ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites in the story, not Zacchaeus, not Jesus, but what would we be thinking of a Zacchaeus? Would we be irritated at him? Would we be uh, bothered by him? Maybe he's come to us and he's cheated us and we know he's cheated us, but there's nothing we could do about it. How would we feel about a person like that? How much animosity would we have? Would we want to take him out if we could take him out? But He's backed by the Roman soldiers, so we can't do anything. So when you're studying the Bible, you, you, uh, you take what it gives you and you frame something so you can understand it. So I'm going to go back to that verse we just read. It says, he wanted to see who Jesus was. Now here's the, the we're going to take a little turn. Here's the interesting thing. We're painting this Zacchaeus as a negative person. And based on what we know about text collectors, it, it is negative. And what he has done up until this point is negative. But it says something that's interesting. It says he wanted to see Jesus. Here's something that you have to understand, that sometimes even the worst of people have something in them that wants to see Jesus. And if you know Jesus, should you hold Jesus from them because of your assumptions about what they've done or your convictions about what they've done. Maybe you know something they've done or maybe you're just assuming. Either way, it comes a point in sometimes people's life where they actually want to see Jesus. They have an urge to see Jesus. Should you shut the door to Jesus because you know their past, you know their history, or should you allow them to see Jesus? And so there's something to think about. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he couldn't see over the crowd. So let's go to verse 4. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now we see something about the state that Zacchaeus was in. He was in a place where he really wanted to see Jesus bad. In other words, we don't know much about how he got to the states. state, all we know is he was a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. And based on what we know about tax collectors, he has an evil disposition or he's been doing evil. He's been doing wrong up until this point. But there's something about Jesus and something about the inside of Zacchaeus that says, I want to see him. And my stature won't allow me to see him. And so he runs. He's actually putting effort. He's actually putting work in. And he climbs up a tree just to see Jesus. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, I'm not for sure what brought a person to the point that they are now. And I may know their past, but if they're making this effort to see Jesus now, if they're showing up to church, well, yeah, they come to church, but man, they're gay and they've been with this person and that person. But that is who they were. What about them now is making them want to see Jesus so bad, so desperately that they are climbing to see Jesus. They are going out of their way to see Jesus. And so that brings us to the point of us as Christians, which what Brother Neil was bringing up, that many times you run into people who they have a history that is visibly not good. There's some people you can speculate about, 
Well, I think they were. I don't know about them. They're showing up in church, but I think they used to do this. And then there's other people that you know. You can look at them and tell. Uh, he, he talked about those who maybe who are addicted to drugs, and you can see track marks on their arms. You can see situations where they're no longer with their children. Their children are being raised by someone else, and here they are, and they, are, they, they look like they've been through the ringer of life, and they probably have done some bad things. Maybe they've had to steal for their addiction. They've done some unsafe uh, sexual things for their addiction. Here they are showing up to church, and because of who they are or who they were, there's that ick factor. Ugh. Ugh. I'm not sure we want to extend Jesus, but if they are clamoring to see Jesus, who are we to shut Jesus out from them? Now, when this, it's a little different when you look at this story. So when, when you look at the idea of the, the drug addict, sometimes compassion comes on them because they look so rough and they've been through so much. So, much. so sometimes there is a natural compassion. But in this particular case, you're looking at someone who's wealthy on the backs of other people. In other words, he don't look all beat up. Zacchaeus has made a lot of money. Maybe the clothes he's wearing is because he cheated you. The clothes he's wearing is because he cheated your mama, cheated your grandma. You know it. You know the uh, car he drives is because he's done dirt. Or maybe you're dealing with the drug addict, and now you see the drug dealer, and they're living high on the hog, and you know that they pump poison into your family, and all the court dates you've gone through, and all the trouble with the nieces and nephews you have come because this person was unfairly pumping poison. So how would you feel when God reaches in and he saves the drug dealer? Do you feel, oh, I'm so glad somebody got saved? Or do you be like, man, that ain't right. That ain't fair. And that becomes the challenge when God begins to reach people that seem unreachable. And you have to sit with that because it's always beautiful when God saves somebody you want saved, but it's hard when God saves your enemy or when God saves someone who's done you wrong or God saves your ex and your ex was horrible to you. They used to abuse you, used to beat you, and now God saves them. And now your ex is preaching around the country and you got an issue with that. That is when the real depth of love comes into play because Sometimes when God loves the unlovable, the unlovable person has done you wrong. And how do you sit with that? And so think of it from the manner of the people who would have known Zacchaeus and maybe it had been uh, harmed by Zacchaeus or possibly people who may not have been harmed by him, but know someone that's harmed by him. In other words, he's got a reputation and here he is wanting to see Jesus. Let's give us another uh, wild example. You have, uh, you have in the scriptures, you have Mary Magdalene, and they say Mary Magdalene was a prostitute, was delivered. Now she's hanging around Jesus. What about all the other wives who had men who were hanging around Jesus? Uh-uh, I don't want my man close to Mary. I know who she was. I know how she acts. I don't care how safe she is now. I don't want my husband anywhere near her. That may be a real feeling, but Jesus has delivered her. Jesus is vouching for her. So what do you do with that? Do you say, yeah, okay, I'll go to church with him. But shoot, my, my, my family ain't sitting over there where she sit. 
We ain't sitting nowhere near her. I don't even like her perfume. I don't like the way she be looking. I don't like the way she shake her hips. Because you know who she used to be. And you're happy when God delivers some people. But when he delivers others, it's like, I don't know about that. And so we have to be very careful. This type of message is a message that really pricks at our heart because we can be very judgmental is when the deliverance doesn't look like we want it to look. Now, we're in a space at Deliverance Temple where God is delivering people that we want delivered. So we're happy. We're excited. We love hugging on people. But once that deliverance gets really reckless, he delivers a child molester that we know was a child molester. What do we do with that? Do we want him to come to church? Of course, we don't want him, that person, around the children's ministry, but where does that person go? What do we do with that? And so it's that thinking that makes us start to think, okay, when we get to thinking like that, the first thing we have to do is we have to remember ourselves. We have to remember if it wasn't for God's crazy love, we wouldn't be here. So we have to start looking at things through the eyes of Jesus. So with that picture painted, Let's continue. We're going to go back to that, that previous verse. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Okay, I'm going to bring up one, one more point before we move on to another verse. What we see in this context is this is a person who, for whatever reason, really, really, really wants Jesus, is really going after Jesus. Now, these other examples I'm bringing up, we're not talking about people who are playing church. We're not talking about a person or, or let's say a person who was a prostitute and is coming into church and their whole goal is to try to trap all the men up. We're not talking about a person like that with evil intent. We're talking about someone who's coming out of one lifestyle and now really, really wants Jesus. What do we do with people like that? So let's see what Jesus did. Let's look at verse five. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, so he reached the spot, which means that Zacchaeus ran ahead. He ran far ahead so that he could see what he needed to see. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, in the context, there's a crowd following Jesus. And so Jesus doing this, many of them probably would not have known that Zacchaeus had done what he did. He's a short man. He's probably maneuvered to the crowd, got far enough ahead, so just so he can get a glimpse of Jesus, see what is going on. He's gone up high to this tree, and Jesus stops and looks up. I bet everyone else would have stopped and looked up, like, what are you looking up, Jesus? And he calls him by name Zacchaeus, and I bet the crowd was like, oh, that's him. Oh, I know Jesus is going to get him. Jesus is going to rebuke him and tell him, I know you, you stole my grandma's money, you no good, dirty rascal. I wonder what they was expecting Jesus to do. And Jesus says, come on down, Zacchaeus. I must stay at your house, which is interesting because many people would have been looking for him to rebuke. Because one thing we see what Jesus did, he rebuked the religious leaders a lot. And so he spoke truth to power. He would have been seen as a rebel, speaking truth to power and things, but this particular guy, he doesn't do it like that. And you wonder what he would have done. Let me give you an example in my own personal life. So I've said it before, and I don't like to tell on myself too much, but 
just in my own honesty, I can't stand Trump, Donald Trump. I don't like anything he stands for. I think he's a narcissist. I just think I just don't like him. He makes my skin crawl, irritates me because I just think he's a prideful person and he just lies for just to be lying. I don't believe hardly anything. So that's that's me. That's my own personal thing. I got my own reasons for that. But if he was to win again and God was to work in his life, even though I didn't vote for him, can I take my personal feelings out of it and say, hey, man, God is using him. He's doing great things. No, I didn't like him. I didn't vote for him. But I have to say, I believe God is using him. Can I take my opinion and what I believed up until this point, and can I look and say Jesus is working in this person's life? And to be honest, that's harder to do than what we think, because once you have in your mind a person is a certain way, it's hard to shake your mind from that. And here's the thing about Jesus. When he wants to deliver someone, he doesn't ask you your permission. He don't ask you what you think about it. He doesn't ask you, well, what did he do to you first before I deliver him? He doesn't do that. He delivers who he wants, when he wants, how he wants. And you have to either shape up or ship out. You got to either get on board with it or you're going to be offended by it because Jesus knows the intent of a person's heart. All we can see is their past actions, their previous actions. We don't know what's in a person's heart, but Jesus knows. And Jesus said, I must stay at your house today. In other words, what Jesus understood is that he's at the point of salvation. He's at the point of deliverance, and I can't move on by him. I got to stop, and I got to reach out to him. Very similar to him on the cross, where there is a thief beside him, two thieves, One thief is talking crazy. Another thief is just like, look, I messed up. All I want you to do is just remember me. And Jesus, in the middle of his dying, he stops and says, oh, basically, I got you. You'll be with me in paradise. In other words, he's gone all his life doing wrong. He's now on the cross suffering for his wrong. I'm talking about the other thief. He's suffering for his wrong. And at that point, he's repentant. He's saying, yeah, I, I didn't do right. Can you just remember me? And Jesus said, that's enough for me to deliver you. That's enough for me to rescue you. And there's many people in this age of the ending of the kingdom who are not going to have a whole lot of time to do a lot of apologizing to you and say, hey, yeah, Andre, I know I talked about you. I lied on you. I stabbed you in the back. I'm sorry. They may not have time to do all that with me and God still deliver them. Am I going to be okay with that as a Christian or am I always going to hold a grudge? Yeah, but you still owe me money. I don't care how saved you are. You owe me money. Maybe they do, but God has a right to deliver who he wants to deliver. And that's something that we have to remember. And and in the stories Brother Neil was talking about, he was talking about the people who don't show up in the church building. They are in the streets but God is touching their heart, and they may not show up on Sunday. They may not tithe. They may not do this and that, but God is working with them. Is it okay for God to touch those people, or is it because they don't come in our services, and they don't say, Pastor Andre's my pastor, then, okay, I don't deal with those type of people. Who, 
who are we going to be? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. And it's a beautiful question, and it's a reminder of how far our love is. Does our love have limits? Now, it's true that many times, humanly, our love has limits, but we try to tap into the unconditional love of God and love people at all costs, even when it hurts us. All right, so he says, I'm going to stay at your house. Let's look at verse 6. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, it doesn't say who welcomed who. It just says he came down at once. We know Zacchaeus was up there, so Zacchaeus came down right away. Did Zacchaeus welcome Jesus, or did Jesus welcome Zacchaeus? It just says, and welcomed him gladly. It seems in that context, it seems that Zacchaeus is the one who welcomed Jesus, or welcomed him into his home, and did it gladly. Or it could be Jesus welcomed Zacchaeus gladly. Either way, there was a welcoming And in the welcoming, it was done gladly, and there was a reckoning. So it's a possibility that the drug dealer that sold your child drugs, that caused your child to be addicted, has now welcomed Jesus gladly, and God is working in his life. And even though your son or your daughter has gone through this, that, and the other, you can't hold that against that person. For You have to let it go because they've welcomed Jesus gladly, and Jesus has welcomed them, and a work is being done in their life. And here's the beautiful thing is when real healing happens against people who've done each other wrong or something has happened, when real healing happens, it really does something to people when real healing takes place. I'm not saying you get over things quickly, but I am saying that when God is at work in two people's lives, you see love and you see forgiveness. And the most beautiful example that I've seen of it in Deliverance Temple was uh, in the woods in the Ellis family. When years ago, there was the matriarch of the Woods family, which is Mother Mabel Woods, who just passed away recently, and the matriarch of the Ellis family, Mother Ellis, they were both going to Deliverance Temple. And they were both sitting on the mother's board and they were attending church all the time. Well, in some generations below, Mother Wood's son and Mother Ellis, I believe, granddaughter were dating each other. And the worst thing possible could happen, Mother Ellis' uh, granddaughter stabbed Mother Wood's son, and he did not recover. He was murdered by his girlfriend. And both of the matriarchs go to the same church. And the families went to Deliverance Temple. And it was always a wonder, like, oh, my God, what will happen? Will a fight break out in church? And, of course, it was a grieving process. But on one particular Sunday, Mother Woods and Mother Ellis made a point to come to each other, hold hands, and praise God together as a signal to the family, we are not going to beef. Love conquers all. Yes, there was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of pain. But there was a concerted effort by the heads of the families to say, this is how we are going to function. And it was based on the type of ministry that my dad had, the ministry of of love. But that was a hard thing. It was hard for the families to come together to to say, listen, we're going to get beyond this. But they did. And I see that as a young person, as a teenager, watching that, it was amazing to me to see because I saw, like, wow, how could this be? Another example of that, another murder, was my, uh, my uncle, my mom's brother, who was murdered 
and how my mother was able to get on the stand and look at the perpetrator, look at the murderer and say, we forgive you. The family forgives you. We've let it go. I have seen this work in real time in hard situations and seen how the love of God conquers all. And so here's the key. When a person welcomes Jesus in gladly, it changes things. And when you have welcomed Jesus into your heart and you've done it gladly, it changes even the pain that you feel. You, you, you should and you have a right to be angry, but you just don't. The love of God in you is just it's so humbling and it's so revolutionary. It's so transformative that you, you learn how to let things go. You learn how to bury the hatchet. You learn how to forgive because you realize that God has forgiven you in so much. So let's look what what continues to happen, because there's two sides to this coin. So we're going to go to verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Uh-oh. So when we read this, we just thinking regular sin. Oh, he's, he's, he's hanging out with somebody who's, who's a, a, a wino. Oh, that's horrible. No, it's much deeper than that. This Zacchaeus has more than likely harmed a lot of people financially, done them wrong. And so they have an ax to grind and they see this Jesus who's doing all these miracles saying, okay, I'm going to come to your house. And Zacchaeus welcomes him. He welcomes Zacchaeus. And they're like, no, hold on, time out. What are you doing? You're going to be with a sinner. In other words, you cannot be the prophet and the Messiah that we think you are, or else you would not be hanging with a person like this. Don't you know who he is? He's a sinner like this. And then there, there's going to come a time where there are going to be some people who are going to come in, and they're going to come in with such a heavy past that the question is going to be, if Jesus knew, or if Pastor Andre knew who that was, he, he wouldn't let him in his church. Well, yeah, he looks like a she now, but when I grew up, he was a he. And you're over there letting them come to your church, and they sitting up front, but you don't know who they really are. But even if I find out who they really are, do I have enough love? Because here's the question I have to ask. Have they received Jesus gladly? Have they welcomed Jesus gladly? And has Jesus welcomed them gladly? If that has already happened, who am I to say something different? Well, I don't want to fool with them, and I may not want to fool with them. I don't, I don't want to fool with no Trump, and I may not want to fool with him. But if Jesus has welcomed him and he has welcomed Jesus, then I got to either shape up or ship out. So that became the situation to some of the people. Like, Ooh, here Jesus is with these sinners. But let's, let's look at something else. Verse 8, this is what's real powerful. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, this is powerful because when a person has welcomed Jesus, really welcomed them, it changes who they are. They don't do what they used to do. And they don't have the mentality that they used to have because once you allow Jesus into your life and you really welcome him and he's really welcomed you, you cannot function like you used to function. So he stood up and said, look, Lord, now here's, here's what's interesting. Jesus hadn't asked him to do anything yet. 
He hadn't asked him anything yet. He just said, I'm going to your house. And there was a welcoming. But it was such a change when he met Jesus that he said, this is what I'm going to do. What is he going to do? Now I give half my possession to the poor. Now what we know is that his wealth came from the wrong things that he did. But we don't know what level it was. We just know that tax collectors usually added something to sweeten the deal so they could have. We don't know if he took half. We don't know if he took 10%, 20%, but he already said, I'm going to give half. So wherever I am monetarily, I'm willing to chop it in half and give it to the poor because you mean more to me, Jesus. What, what, we, don't, we really don't know the full story, but all we know was he wanted to see Jesus bad. So what we have to, in our imagination, think is that the Holy Spirit was working on Zacchaeus. Probably some things that were happening. What oftentimes happens to people when they get close to a transformation is what they're doing no longer fits. They keep trying to fit. They're like a a square trying to fit in a round hole. So, yes, they're doing things, but it no longer fits them. They're, they're doing things, but they're miserable in it because God is working on them. He's pricking their heart. And oftentimes when people's actions haven't changed yet, we assume they are no good. Look at them no good people doing this, that, and the other. Look at these young kids running around with these guns and, and they're going straight to hell, these evil people. They may be operating in evil now, but sometimes a seed of righteousness, a seed of prayer is working in them and God is stripping away at them. And sometimes we're counting out people that God is in the process of changing and turning around. So I believe that the reason why Zacchaeus was able to make such a bold statement of what he was going to do is because for a period of time, God had been working on him. And here he is. He met Jesus at the right time, and he was ready. He was ready for a transformation. He says, all right, now I've given half my possessions to the poor. And then he adds, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, which more than likely he had, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, that's going to cost him to do that. So if I cheated you out of 200, I'll give you 800. Jesus didn't ask him to do that. But when people have a real conversion, a real transformation, there is something that happens deep inside of them. And that's what we have to understand. We as a church, we are the hospital, but we're not just bringing people in for them to stay the same. We're looking for them to have a conversion. But we can't stop and block them from getting the conversion. But here's the beauty of it. And here's the thing that we need to understand is when they have their conversion, who they are and who they will be for the community around them is they're going to be four times better than they were before. So let's go back to the example of the prostitute that shows up at church and now is delivered. And now all the women say, "Uh uh-uh, forget her. But now you may not know that may be your best friend. That woman may teach you how to keep your man. That may, woman may teach you things that you didn't know. Hey, I know y'all happy, but there's something about him. He's straying. I can see the way his eyes is going. No, my husband's okay. Listen, I've been with a lot of men. I can tell you, this is what you need to do. Now, that woman who you thought was going to be the one who's going to mess up your relationship is going to be the one to help your relationship because she's so transformed. Her mind is so different. She's so changed. And the problem is when church people get so sedity, what happens is they ruin people from having the greatest changes possible. Some of the greatest businessmen was them folk that was selling dope to your kids. 
And we hate them because of what they did. But now they're going to be the one who's going to change and turn things around. They're going to be one who's going to fund the rehab that your child is going to be able to go to. There's a lot of things that can happen. Now, let me also say this. Karma is real, so to speak. That word or reaping what you sow is real. There are some people who come to God and it's not all peaches and uh and ease. It's not all a bowl of cherries because they have so much stuff in their past that they still have to pay for some things. When you look at uh, an example of that, when you look at Paul, Paul who wrote much of the New Testament, Paul was around persecuting Christians, killing Christians. But when you look at Paul, his attitude was so changed when he had his conversion. But Paul understood when he went through a bunch of junk and Paul went through a bunch of junk. But Paul understood. He called himself, he said, I was chief of sinners. Paul didn't care that he was beat, that he was shipwrecked, that he was in prison. Because what Paul knew is, listen, I was horrible to people. I held the coat of the people who stoned Stephen. So I'm not here to say that I deserve this, that, and the other. I'm humbled. And what you what you'll realize when you deal with people who have really ugly past, then people are humble. They're not here to brag. They're just so glad that God has saved them. So sometimes you're mad at the wrong people or you feel uh, threatened by the wrong people. Sometimes those people are so humble and so broken. Sometimes broken people make the best healers. And while you're looking at them and saying, ooh, I don't like them because of who they used to be. Or let's go back to my thing. I can't stand Donald Trump. But now God is working his life and changing them. And here I am trying to be all mad and sedity about it. And the next thing I know is something has really happened in his life. And he's really humbled. He's really changed. And here I am holding a grudge against someone that is really transformed who actually might be able to work with me, help me, tell me things that I never knew, help my leadership because he's changed. So don't forget the miracle of transformation and the miracle of salvation because God can really, really change people. Let's go back to the example of the child molester. He can point out people that we as parents, he could tell us things and teach us things. Look, parents, don't do this. When I was who I was, these are the type of children I would go, for, go after. These are the functions I would go to to get children. So, no, don't allow your children to do this. Be careful of this because they're so transformed that they actually help people. So, who are we going to be like? Are we going to be like the people that say, ooh, Jesus, why are you hanging with them? Or are we going to sit back and say, God, whoever you choose to use, I'm okay with it. Now, I may not be okay with it right away. It may take me a while because my ex is still my ex. And my ex still beat me upside the head. It's going to take a while for me to be comfortable around them. But God, if you're using them, the least thing I won't do, I won't put my mouth on it. My father-in-law preached a message years ago and he taught us this. He said, what you don't understand, at least don't put your mouth on it. I may not understand, God, why you're using this person, but one thing I will do, I'll shut up about it. So when somebody asks me, look, this happens to me all the time. There are pastors who get caught in things, and they're on national news. They're caught in this, that, and the other. And I may not necessarily jive with that pastor, so to speak, but I don't know what God is doing in a person's life. So when somebody asks me, what do you think about so-and-so? They got caught with a, a woman that wasn't their wife. No comment. Why do I say no comment? Because I don't know what God is doing in their life. Maybe they, they got caught so God can humble them, and God's getting ready to take them to a higher level and a deeper level. So I'm not here to, I'm not, 
I keep my mouth shut. If I don't understand it, I stay out of it because it's a possibility that God is actually doing something in their life, and I'm getting ready to step on God's toes running my mouth. So I shut up. Here's the thing that I've learned. If God is not in it, they're going to fail. They're going to crash and burn. I'll talk about it then. I'll talk about it once they crash and burn. But if not, let me shut up about it. Because some people that look like they're going to crash and burn, God reverses them and they go up. God specializes in taking the worst situations and turning them around. So we have to be very careful with us. And so, so another example, we talked about it several weeks ago in the sermon, Welcome Back. Actually, we, we really didn't cover it. We just referenced it. But in the sermon, Welcome Back, we talk about the prodigal son. But if you know the story about the prodigal son, the once the father welcomed the son back, the older brother had an issue because the older brother had never done what the son done. He didn't understand why the prodigal son was being received with so much fanfare. And we have to be careful. Those of us who've been somewhat straight-laced and we've been walking with God a long time, when God starts grabbing people and using people, we have to be very careful because we can immediately start feeling kind of funny and funky about it. We're like, ugh. Why is it that you give them a business and bless their business just like that? And I've been walking with you a long time, and I struggle with my business. Or me as a pastor, you take this guy who used to be a drug dealer, you turn him around, and now he got the biggest church in Muncie, and I've been at this a long time, and my seats aren't filled. There's a a real temptation to have some type of feeling. I had to check that. I had to check that and humble myself and say, God, whoever you use, however you use them, Don't let me get in the way because you're God. I'm just Andre. How can I tell you who you can use? How could those people there say, no, you can't use Zacchaeus? How? How how am I big enough and you put breath in my body? How am I so big and so bad that I can tell you who you can use? Well, she's a whore. Well, she was, but God grabbed them. God grabbed a Mary Magdalene. Think about all the other women who was ticked off because she was walking with Jesus. But she became a, a great woman. So if this lesson and what Neil was teaching us is just re- remember, we got to be like our bishop was. And we got to make sure when we're offering deliverance and we're talking about we're delivering simple and we living our vision every day, we have to remember that sometimes God is going to love the unlovable. And we got to figure out how to be OK with that. And for many of us, it's going to be OK because we've been unlovable. But there's a few of us here. We've been we've been pretty good people. And when you've been pretty good people, then there's a temptation to be in self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is one of the worst sins you can get in because you focus so much on self that you feel like God can't deliver other people. And we don't want self-righteousness to be in our church. So a few more verses and we finish here. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. This is really powerful. And this was Jesus checked checking the people around him. He's like, salvation or deliverance has come to him. In other words, I'm the deliverer, and I'm bringing deliverance to him. He said, because this person too, he's a son of Abraham. Or in other words, he's part of the family of God. So let's, let's back this up, and let's put it in our day and age. Think about this. Somebody's grandma was praying for Zacchaeus, Somebody's great-grandma was praying for Zacchaeus. In other words, Zacchaeus' family may have been praying for him, and he turned out the way he turned out, and he did a lot of wrong things. But somebody, somebody had been asking God to deliver him. 
Save him. Don't let him die in his sins. Don't let him be like this. They weren't proud of what he was doing. They didn't like what he was doing, but they, somebody wasn't giving up on him. And so when Jesus answers the prayer and delivers somebody you don't like, you have to realize that somebody was praying for the person you don't like because that's somebody's child. That's somebody's husband. Oh, I can't stand this person. Let's go back to Donald Trump. But Donald Trump is somebody's father. So am I going to get off of my high horse and say, God, you deliver who you want to deliver? Because at the end of the day, if God says they're my child, they're my child. So we all ought to be grateful that God don't listen to our opinions. Because if God listened to our opinions, a lot of us wouldn't be saved today. Because there's somebody out there that don't like you and don't want God to do what he's doing in your life. We do have haters out there. And the biggest hater is the devil. And the biggest uh, accuser is the accuser of the brethren, the devil, who knows your stuff and is also always telling Jesus, you are not supposed to bless her. You're not supposed to bless him. But what if Jesus agreed with the accuser? Yeah, I should bless Andre because Andre did this, that, and the other. I ain't talking about stuff that I was lied on. There's some folk lied on me, but there's some stuff that I did, that I know I did, that don't nobody know I did, but me and God and the devil. And when the devil says Andre did that, the devil is not lying. The devil is a liar and the father of lies, but there's some stuff he's not lying about. He told the truth on me. And if God and Jesus side with him, what could I say? Because it wasn't a lie. It was the truth. But God said, I was not guilty. God looked at what the devil and said and said, yep, I know, which goes back to uh, this, uh, the class we talked on last week, which is defender, because I didn't really get into this, but I also thought about God as a defense lawyer. So Jesus, as our defense lawyer, knows I'm guilty and defends me anyhow against the attacks of Satan. So if God and Jesus will do that for us, are we going to let him do that for others? Even the people we quote unquote think don't deserve. Let's get real deep. Hamas, who came and attacked Israel in an evil, heinous way. What if God wants to deliver some of them? And now Israel is going and they are attacking back, but now they're sometimes doing more than they should. Are we afraid to say, Israel, no, you're doing too much because now you're killing civilians? Or, or are we just trying to pick sides? And so we live in a, a day and age where it's, it's, it's supposed to be black and white. You're supposed to be either Democrat or Republican. Either you're for Israel or you're for Hamas or you're for uh, straight or you're for gay. You can't mix. But that's not how God operates. God does what he wants to do with whoever he wants to do it. And you have to be okay with that and say, God, whoever you decide to deliver and bring salvation to, I'm okay with that. But also knowing when he brings true deliverance to people, they change their ways. And they're okay with giving back and making up for what they did. So that's why I speak truth to power when it comes to things like racism. So don't tell me you are a child of God and then you are against reparations for black people because true transformation says I'm willing to pay for. So there's some people who are preachers and pastors and I'm not giving my tax dollars for slaves. That was years ago. But if you really have a real transformation of heart, you do not mind repaying. So 
there's two sides of this coin, but I, I think I've, I've beat <laughs> this enough to where you understand. So here's the final thing, and this just sums it all up. And this is how Jesus shut them down. Because if, if you look at verse 11, he goes on to something else. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come for the perfect people. He didn't come for the people who had it all together. He came to seek and then to save. In other words, he's actually looking for the messed up people. And when he finds them, he plans on saving them. And it's a possibility some of the messed up people are people who messed up against you. And you're going to have to be okay with God seeking and saving the people who hurt you previously. And watch how God mended. Now, I will say that there are people who hurt me previously, but when I've lived long enough, those people have come back to apologize, or if they didn't apologize, they changed their ways toward me. I didn't have to demand that they apologize. I didn't have to be evil against them. All I had to do is live and try my best to forgive. And once I was able to forgive and let things go, I, go, let things go, I found out that a lot of those people changed and adjusted around me. I'm not saying you have to be a doormat for anybody. God doesn't want you to be a doormat. But if you keep living and doing what God wants you to do, God will make your enemies your footstool. But what he's asking you not to do is not get in the way of his deliverance by holding grudges and picking and choosing, choosing who can get into heaven and who can't. That ain't your job to do. Your job is to live your vision every day and let love flow and make sure you are communicating Christ's love compassionately. And that love is to seek and to save the lost. And hopefully that's what we're doing here at this church and in this ministry. All right, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and we love you and we appreciate you, God. God, you're working on us. God, you're working on us through ups and downs. You're working on us through pain. You're working on us through loss. You're doing something in our heart and you're making us the people that we need to be for this last and this end time age. And God, not all of it is fun, not all of it is easy, but you're bringing us to the place where we will receive the Zacchaeuses. You're bringing us to the place where we were the Zacchaeuses. We were the ones doing wrong, and you're transforming us. But however you're doing it, God, we thank you for it. And we want to be the people of your delight. We want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servants. So because of that, we want to go all the way with you and be the church and the ministry you want us to be. Now, Father, God, bless your people. Bless them. In every aspect, in every way, reclaim the backsidden and save the lost. And we thank you for it. And let this church be a haven that it can do so. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful, marvelous, and awesome week. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks for allowing me to teach. And we thank Brother Neil for bringing this word to us. And thank you, this word of conviction and love for us. All right, God bless you all.